those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Jim. I've been at the Goldsboro campus now for about four and a half months. Pastor Farrell's away this morning. He asked me to come fill in for him today, and I look forward to sharing with you in the midst of the series that we've been in called Who is God? Let's just, can we just be honest here this morning? We all have an idea about who God is, and, and as soon as we get into a conversation of any depth at all, we're eventually going to disagree with each other. Am I right? Why is that? Because we get our ideas about God from grandma, ma, local pastors, TV preachers, Hollywood, books, street signs, street people. I mean, we get our ideas about God from all kinds of places. So what we've been doing in this little three weeks between Easter and Mother's Day, and we're kicking off a whole new series next week calling Dysfunctional Family, Dysfunctional No More. We're going to be functional families. We're kicking that off on Mother's Day. It'll run from Mother's Day to Father's Day. Uh, but for these three weeks, we've just been going to the owner's manual and asking, God, what did you say about who you are? Is that a good idea? <laughs> Let's figure out what he said about himself, then maybe we'll have a better understanding of who he is. And I'll just be clear, I think we have been every week through this series, it's not possible in a three-week sermon series to teach everything there is to know about God. Certainly, it's not possible to explain the Trinity, to come up with an illustration that, that exactly defines the Trinity, because there isn't one. Quite frankly, if you can put God in your mental box, then who's God? You or Him? I mean, He's bigger than we are. He's bigger than our capacity. The truth of the matter is, in this series, we haven't actually even tried to appeal to your intellect. We've been trying to appeal to your hearts. Because at the end of the day, here's what I know about God. Anybody want to hear this? Here's what I know about God. He wants a relationship with us. And so he communicates to us about who he is through this triune God, this one God in three persons. Why does he do that? Because he wants to relate to you as a father, and he wants to re you to relate to him as a daddy. That's what he wants. He wants you to think of him as this wise, dependable, loving father figure. Uh, last week we talked about God the Son. He wants you to think of him as an elder brother, as a savior, as a soon coming king. He wants you to be able to relate to him, and so he communicates to us who he is through those images. Today we're continuing to look at the Trinity by looking at the person of the Holy Spirit. For those of you that have missed these things, uh, you can get the manuscript at info at bridgechurch.cc. In fact, you may not know this, but you can go uh, to that email address and ask for Goldsboro, Mount Olive, or Princeton, because all of us have had the privilege to develop kind of our own messages on these topics. Might be interesting to look at all three of them, but you can get the manuscripts at info. Today's outline, those of you that are interested in this kind of thing, you can actually follow along with me this morning by going to the Bible app, events, and look for Princeton a bridge, and you'll see all of the scriptures and all of the points that I'll be making today, and there's a place there for you to write down notes as you go. I'll just warn you, if you've never done it before, save it when you're done, because it goes away, all right? If you save it or email it to yourself, you'll have your own notes as we move forward. So let's get into it. Can we start talking about the Holy Spirit by seeing what Jesus said about him first? Is that a good place to start? Let's start by looking at John chapter 14. John 14, Jesus, of course, is preparing his disciples for his departure. He knows the day's coming soon, and he's starting to, to 
kind of comfort them. He's, he's trying to prepare them. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's a familiar passage. And one day I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be where, where I am. What's he doing? He's trying to comfort them, right? I'm not going to be here anymore, but it's okay, guys. It's going to be okay. That's what he's saying. So let's pick it up. By the time you get to verse 16, here's what Jesus says. John 14, 16, 17. It's on the screens. I like the way the Amplify breaks it out. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter. Depending on which translation you normally like to read, you may see advocate, you may see all kinds of things, which is one of the reasons I like Amplify, because I call it the multiple choice Bible. You just get all kinds of opportunities. So I'll give you another comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby. Which one of those is the Holy Spirit? All of them. Somebody say all of them. All of them. And he may remain with you forever. What's he saying? He's saying, I've been with you everywhere I've gone. I've been in your presence. But now I'm leaving. The Holy Spirit's going to be in you wherever you go. Let's go to the next. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive or welcome or take into its heart because it does not see him or know and recognize him, but you know and recognize him, for he lives with you constantly and will be in you. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm going to prepare heaven. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit where you've been with me. Now he's going to be in you. By the way, do you see the Trinity in those two verses? You know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, and some people will confuse you and have you believe that Trinity is not a biblical concept because they can't find the word. But what, you know what I see in these two verses? I see the Son talking with the Father. I see the Father uh, sending the Spirit. I, I see the Spirit living in us. I see the Trinity all over those three verses. And you know what else I see? I see personal pronouns about the Holy Spirit all over the place. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear it. But if you don't hear anything else, hear this. The Holy Spirit's not an it. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. May the force be with you. That's not who the Holy Spirit is. He is a co-equal member of the Trinity. He is God. He is God. See all those personal pronouns? Anybody with me this morning? So what's Jesus saying? He wants us to relate to God as a Trinity. He wants us to relate to the Father as a wise, strong, dependable, loving dad. Jesus wants us to relate to God the Son as the one who came to seek and to save those who were lost. And he wants us to relate to God the Holy Spirit as an equal member of the Trinity, the one who comforts and counsels and helps and intercedes and advocates and strengthens day in and day out, no matter where you go, because he's not just with you, he is in you until Jesus returns to establish his kingdom. And that's the dynamic of the Trinity. In simple terms, that's the dynamic of our triune God. Probably the best illustration, because what I want you to do this morning is I want you to be able to relate to the Holy Spirit, not just know about him. I want you to know him. I want you to relate to him, okay? And so one of the best illustrations that I know in the New Testament is the story of the Apostle Paul, also known as Saul, in the early days of his life. Because he lays out this relationship very clearly in the way he lives his life. And then I want to challenge you to let's get serious about building a relationship with the Holy Spirit, okay? Is that worth a few minutes of our time? Somebody say yes. The rest of you, God bless you. Bojangles is serving brunch. <laughs> Thanks for coming. 
So who is Saul? Saul was this guy who grew up in the lap of luxury. He grew up being educated in the best places, Ivy League kind of school for his day. And he had this deep desire to know God. Because he was trained in the religion of the day, he started his journey in trying to get to know God as a very religious person. In fact, he was so zealous about his religion that when he heard about this cult that was coming along called the Way, he made it the, the, the mission of his life to get rid of all these Jesus followers. He's actually on his way to the town called Damascus to find some more of these Jesus followers to, to either put them in prison or maybe even kill them when he met Jesus himself. And from that point on, everything changed. From the moment he was confronted with the person of Jesus Christ, everything has changed. His whole identity changed. Eventually he changes his name to Paul. He de dedicates his life to planting new churches. He trains young pastors. He writes letters to those churches that get circulated among those churches until they become almost half of the New Testament, all because Saul met Jesus one day. But hear me. Lean in. Don't tune in on me. Hear me. There was a vital step in Saul, Paul's journey that we cannot ignore. There's a vital step between meeting Jesus and doing all that stuff that he did in his life. This confrontation with Jesus on the road to Damascus that day, Jesus said to him, go do what I tell you to do. I'll say it, you obey it. And the first thing he told him to do was not go plant churches. First thing he told him to do was not go write the New Testament. The first thing he told him to do is go to Ananias' house and let Ananias pray for him. So what did Saul do? He got up, he started to this house this house of Ananias, who was one of the leaders of the way. While Saul's on his way to Ananias' house, the uh, Holy Spirit comes to Ananias and says, oh, by the way, I'm sending Saul to your house. I want you to lay hands on him and pray when he gets here. Now, put yourself in Ananias' shoes for a minute. You're, 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 you're kind of one of the leaders of the church, and the Holy Spirit's come to you and said, um, I'm going to send the guy that imprisons and kills Christians to your house. And when he gets here, I want you to welcome him, and I want you to lay hands on him and pray. And you would say, oh, sure. Piece of cake. Sounds like fun. I think I'll do that. So just imagine what Ananias is thinking when he's been instructed to pray for this guy Saul who's killing Christians. Acts chapter 9, verse 17, Ananias went to the house and entered in, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, that's important. He recognizes because you've met Jesus, we're brothers now. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. See again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The result was that armed with the love of the Father, this intimate relationship with Abba, Daddy, this closeness with God, this deep and growing relationship with the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit operating in his life, the Apostle Paul rocked the known world. We are blessed 2,000 years later because of his life. 
But here's what I want you to hear. Okay? All the stuff I've been telling you, here's what I want you to hear. Changing the world, making a difference in the world, is not reserved for a famous few. I thought I'd get at least one amen out of that. Making a difference in our world is not reserved for a famous few. We got two or three over here. Could you wake this section up, Clay? Could you just kind of get them going? Amen. Amen. All right. But, you knew there was a but in there, didn't you? It does require making the same choices that Paul made. It's not reserved for a famous few, but it does require making the same choices that Paul made. That's why Paul later wrote to the church at Ephesus, to the saints at Ephesus, to the faithful that are in Christ Jesus. He's writing to Christians when he says, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. He's telling Christians there's a step in here. If you really want to make a difference in your world, if you really want the power to do what God put you on this planet to do, don't just love the Father. Don't just enter into relationship with the Son. Seek to be filled not with wine but with the Holy Spirit of God. Can we break the key words down in that? There's three key words in that verse that I think it's important for us to get. This may be a new teaching for some of you. It may be familiar for others, but let's just lean into it for a minute. The first key word I want to look at is, is debauchery, because I, I just love that word, because I like to say it. Come on, say it with me. Come on. Debauchery. It's one of those words you don't have to know what it means to know what it means just because how it sounds. Come on, get with me. Debauchery. You just know what it means, right? But what it technically means, it's the Greek word asocia, that means a recklessness that leads to ruin. So how many of you know, you don't have to tell me whether it's from your experience or watching others, but how many of you know that being drunk on wine leads to a recklessness that leads to ruin? Is it true? It leads to debauchery. That's what happens every time. We know that from life experience. We know it from observing others. But I ran across an interesting study the other day done by the University of Missouri that, that I just found fascinating. They said, lean, listen to this for just a second, okay? They, they said, alcohol dulls the brain signal that warns people when they're making a mistake, ultimately reducing self-control. <gasps> How many millions did they spend to figure that one out? <laughs> alcohol dulls the brain signal that warns people when they're making a mistake, utterly uh, ultimately reducing self-control. But, but here's where it gets interesting. And, and lean into this. Track with me because I'm going somewhere, okay? I want you to get this. Dr. Bruce Bartholomew, who led the study, said, normally, normally when people make mistakes, activity in the part of the brain that's responsible for monitoring behavior increases. Normally, when people make mistakes, there's an activity in the brain that warns people that says, mm, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, something's happened. It sends an alarm signal to other parts of the brain indicating that something's going wrong. Does that make sense? So the result is you stop doing it. So you stick your finger in an electrical outlet. Not that you would ever do that, but just, just work with me here. You stick your finger in an electrical outlet, and that part of your brain says, Whoa, dummy, stop! And you don't do that anymore because your brain told you to stop. Am I making sense? 
But Dr. Bartholomew goes on to say, alcohol doesn't just reduce a person's ability to be aware of potential mistakes. It reduces how much you care about making those mistakes. I mean, you drink enough, stick your finger in a socket and go, ouch, I shouldn't do that. But I don't care. I'll do it again and do it again and do it again. When Cam and I pastored in Faison a number of years ago, there was a news article that spread through our town of a man who was playing poker with his friends one night, and they all had just a little too much to drink. And at some point, one guy got the feeling that his friend was cheating on him, and he pulled out his gun and he killed him. He was quoted in the newspaper as saying, I killed my best friend over a few dollars, and right now I'd give everything I own to have him back. Spent the rest of, the rest of his life in jail without his friend, we all understand that, right? Have I surprised anybody this morning? That's the effects of being drunk on wine, right? Or any strong drink for that matter. That's just that's what it is. Here's what I need you to hear. The second key word. Wine is the Greek word oinos that can translate alcohol. That's appropriate. But it's also often translated as a metaphor for evil. So what Paul is actually saying to us in this passage, it's just as accurate to translate this passage as don't be intoxicated by the spirits, the evils of this world, either alcohol or rage, jealousy, bitterness, envy, unforgiveness. Stop me when I get to one that resonates with you. Don't be intoxicated by the spirits of this world because they all lead to, you want to say it or you want me to? Debauchery. It's fun to say. It is not fun to watch. So I'll ask you, you can sit real still if you want to, but have you ever seen Dr. Bartholomew's findings in someone who is stone cold sober? They're so filled with rage, they're so filled with jealousy, they're so filled with bitterness that they don't even recognize the mistakes that they're making. And even when you point it out to them, they don't even care. Here's the good news. Paul said it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to live under the influence of the spirits of this world. Jesus did go to prepare a place for us. And he did ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit. And the Father did send him. And the Holy Spirit will do life with you. And he will live in you. See, there's a key word, a third key word in this passage that's critical for us to understand. That's the, the word plero, filled. It's the word filled. Instead, he says, be filled. Pleroo which means influenced and empowered by, filled with what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead of being intoxicated by the spirits of this world, he's saying, instead be influenced and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Being intoxicated by the spirits of this world lead to, oh, come on, debauchery we have to say it fun otherwise it hurts too much 
right? Instead, you can be play role, filled, influenced, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, and all kinds of amazing benefits are accrued to you because of it. In fact, for the next few minutes, I want to just unpack a few of them. There are so many, but let's unpack a few of them just very quickly. Six that came to my mind as I was preparing to share with you this morning. First of all, here's what happens when you're filled with the Spirit, when you are play role with the Spirit. First of all, you will learn things that you never would have learned otherwise. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 from the North Carolina version. Some people say that's a new century, but I like North Carolina. God has shown us these things through the Spirit. The Spirit searches out all things, even the deep secrets of God. Now, nobody's taken away from education. You know, some of you call me Dr. Jim, Dr. Wall. You can call me whatever you want to. Call me Gumby. I don't care. Uh, I got 22 years of formal education. I believe in, in education. I'm near about educated to death. <laughs> but there are some things you will never, ever learn no matter how many schools you go to, you'll never learn it from a book or even from your experience. But when you are filled with, influenced and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, stuff starts to jump off the pages of the Word of God into your spirit that you never would have learned otherwise. And you get this ability to read and discern not just the Word of God, but people around you. Kim and I found that powerful in parenting. We've got three sons, all are in their 30s now, but when they were coming along, especially in their teen years, uh, you know, we would just sense to prompting the Spirit, something's going on. We'd go investigate, and sure enough, something was going on, and we'd call them out at it. And I used to say to the boys, you know how blessed you are to have parents that are filled with the Spirit? You see, you get, you, you get caught before you get it all the way down the road where there's a whole bunch of scars. And they say, you call that a blessing? Yes, I call it a blessing. And one day you'll look back and call it a blessing too. Why? Because the Spirit told us. The second one, you develop traits you never could have developed if you weren't filled with the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 3, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, when He influences and empowers our lives, He will, who produces? The Holy Spirit does. He will produce this kind of fruit in us. And what's the fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Any of you ever tried your best to be self-controlled and, and you hold on for a little while and before you know it, you've fallen right back into the old trap again? Yeah, we've all been there. I will not eat that cookie. I will not eat that cookie. I will not eat that cookie. I will not eat a second cookie. I will not eat a second cookie. I will not eat a second cookie. You don't become more self-controlled by trying. You develop by recognizing that these are the attributes of God. And the more you seek to be under the influence of and empowered by the spirits of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the more those traits rise up in you. Third benefit that comes to mind is you'll pray at a depth you never knew before. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 7. Sometimes we don't even know what we should pray for. You ever been there? Yeah. Nor how we should pray. You ever been there? I need to pray. I can't think of what to say. I've said everything I can think of. I've got no words. Well, what happens? Well, when you're filled with the Spirit, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father knows what the Spirit is saying. There, there comes a place for someone who's filled with the Spirit where you don't have to have the words because He knows what's in your heart. And He will take that prayer directly to the throne of God and they communicate because they are one. Now, I don't know how to explain that to you. I, I, I had a good friend. In fact, he was in my doctoral cohort uh, at Pastors Presbyterian Church in North Carolina, here in central North Carolina, and, and, uh, and his wife had Crohn's. We were together for about three years in classes and different gatherings, and we emailed a lot and connected, formed a little bit of a friendship, and, and, uh, and his wife had a, a big struggle. Eventually, she had had so many surgeries from this Crohn's that, uh, that one of them, she actually developed a leak. She became septic. The doctors were saying, we don't know if she's going to live. And, uh, and so we were all just praying. My phone rang one day, and it was Jeff, and he's crying. I mean, he's sobbing. And I thought, you know, my first thought was, oh, no, something's happened to his wife. And, but I can't understand a word he's saying. He's just sobbing. And I finally got him to calm down enough to tell me what's going on. I said, is she okay? Is, is Sue okay? Is Sue okay? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, Sue's wonderful. Sue's wonderful. I said, well, then what's going on, Jeff? He said, I, I got on my face this morning to pray. I've been praying for Sue for two years. And I just said, God, I don't, I don't even know what to say. I just... He said, and I started praying, and it, I don't know, it sounded like mumbling, or I don't know, I, I can't, just, I don't know. But while I was praying, the phone rang, and it was the doctor's office saying, your wife's turned the corner, the fever's broke, we think she's going to be okay. And I said, well, that's awesome, Jeff, why are you crying? He said, I don't know what happened to me. You have to explain what happened to me. And I said, you, did your Romans 8 happen to you? The Holy Spirit began to make intercession for you. You didn't have the words, but he knew, and he took it to the throne of God, and your wife is healed. He said, but you don't understand. I'm Presbyterian. I'm one of the chosen frozen. We... We don't do this stuff. And I said, you know what, Jeff? When your wife is dying, your theology means nothing. You just needed to touch God. And that's what happens, guys. Number four, you'll serve at levels you never could have before. You'll serve at levels you never could have before. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 and 6, there are different kinds of gifts, but they are What? All from the same Spirit. Where, 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 do the, where do your spiritual gifts come from? From the Holy Spirit. There are different ways to serve, but the same Lord to serve. And there are different ways that God works through people, but the same God. God works in all of us in... What, what, what does everything include? Everything we do. The gifts you've been given were given to you by God. 
you give them back to him by submitting to his will and doing what he's gifted you to do. And then he empowers those gifts to take them to the next level, no matter what type of gifts they are. You know who I am? Um, I'm a 19-year-old boy from Bladenboro, North Carolina, who said, Jesus, if you will fill me with the Holy Spirit, I will serve you. And I don't care where. You point and I will follow. And here I am 40, none of your business years later. (laughs) Having ministered all over the planet. Why? Because I'm so smart. (laughs) No, because I prayed a prayer. And it prayed it over and over and over and over again all my life. I don't want to be intoxicated by the spirits of this world. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Do, do you understand that every major ministry initiative in the Bible began with the empowering of the Holy Spirit? Even Jesus himself started his public ministry with the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove landing on his shoulder. I mean, every ministry. Acts chapter 2, the church prayed until the Holy Spirit showed up, and then the church exploded on the scene. The first deacons that were established. Acts chapter 6, they said, find men who are filled with the Spirit. Just that's who you need to find. Paul didn't start all that amazing ministry until Ananias laid hands on him and, and prayed. Every ministry, guys. Fifth benefit, you share your faith with effectiveness you never dreamed. You will share your faith with effectiveness you've Never dreamed. Why do I say that? Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When are you going to get the power? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. And what will happen with that power? You will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Acts 1 8. Is that the next one? There it is. Power, Holy Spirit to do what? What's a witness? What's a witness? It's somebody who saw something and then gives testimony later to what they saw. You know, I I got a call one time from a guy who said, "Uh, I met this guy in the grocery store today, and, you know, he's just so close. Pastor Jim, if you'll talk to him, I think you'll get saved. I said, well, why didn't you talk to him? He said, "I, I, I didn't know what to say. I was scared, okay? I was just scared. I was scared. What if he asked me hard questions? I said, it's irrelevant. All you do is just be a witness to what's happened in your life since you gave your life to Jesus. That's it. Well, I I don't know. I'm still scared. Have you prayed to be filled with the Spirit to do that? Because when the Holy Spirit comes and fills you up, influences and empowers you, when you're operating in that Spirit, that fear melts. And now you just say, this is who I was. You know, I don't know all the answers to your questions, but this is who I was. And then I met Jesus, and here's what's going on in my life now. You're just a witness. And you will be amazed what God begins to do through you. i got to wrap this up. The sixth benefit is you will overcome. We sang about it this morning. You will overcome hurts and habits and hang-ups that, frankly, you never hoped you could. You will begin to overcome junk in your life that have bound you long enough. In fact, for some of you, they have bound you so long you've decided that that's just the way things are. 
But here's what Philippians, what Paul said to the church at Philippi, chapter 2, verse 13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. How many people have I talked to over the years who said, I want to change. I want to be free. I've tried to change. I can't change. It's just too hard. Well, then maybe your prayer is, Lord, give me the real desire to change. That's where it starts for most of us. I talk to people all the time, just an illustration that perhaps you can relate to. I talk to people all the time who say, you know, I ought to quit smoking. Yeah, probably should. It's killing you. You probably ought to. But I just don't want to. Got it. Hello? I just don't want to. So where do I start? You start praying for the desire, for a real desire to be birthed. Most people I know, including me, that quit smoking somewhere along the way, started with a, I wish I wanted to, but I don't. I wish I wanted to quit. I just don't want to. And then this desire begins to be birthed. And before you know it, we start saying, I really want to. I just don't think I can. Well, now what are we going to do? We're going to shift our prayer to, okay, God, you've got to give me the power. Now that i got the desire, you've got to give me the power. And when you do that, guess what happens? You find yourself saying, I used to be a smoker. That stuff stinks. Why did I do that? Why? Because it started with a desire that became a power. Now apply that same illustration to whatever chain that's holding you down and has been holding you down long enough and say, I don't want to be intoxicated by the spirits of this world that says you cannot change Instead, be filled with the Spirit that says you can have both the desire and the power to change. i got to close. How do you get there? How do you be filled with the Spirit? Simple, simple, simple. I pray you will. Three simple steps. First, you've got to pray for a hunger to be filled. You've got to pray for a hunger to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I know as soon as we start talking about the Holy Spirit, there are some people that just get all nervous. And, Ooh, so when do the snakes come? You know, when, am I going to speak in tongues or something? What's going to happen to me? I don't know what's going to happen. They've seen so many abuses. Hello? They've seen so many abuses in the past that they're scared of it. But you've got no reason to be afraid of God who loves you. And the Holy Spirit is God. In fact, you can't ignore the subject because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, then he does not belong to Christ. So it's not a question of whether you have the Holy Spirit operating in your life. The, the question is whether he has influence and control. That's the only question. It, it's not a question of whether he's present. It's a question of whether he's president. It's not a question of whether you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's what theologians like to call it. It's a question of whether you have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul called us to. And, and I just, I got to say this. I hope you'll get it. You don't get the power of the Holy Spirit by being open to it. Well, you know, I don't really know much about this, Pastor. But if it's in the Bible and it's true, then I'm open to it a deeply theological expression for you. <laughs> Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, blessed are those who are open. Huh? 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they are the ones who are filled. So it starts with, oh God, I've been controlled, intoxicated by the spirits of this world so long, I've gotten used to it, and I just kind of assume that's the way it is. I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, you know, that's, I'll hunker down until he gets here. But I'm tired of that. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Please fill me, empower me, influence me, change my life. Jesus said those are the ones who are filled. Number two, you've got to believe the Father wants you to be filled. This isn't hard stuff. This isn't crazy stuff. This isn't beg for it stuff. The Father wants you to be filled. That's why Jesus said in Luke 11, 12 and 13, if your little girl asks for an egg, do you trick her with a spider? You wouldn't think of such a thing. Don't you think the Father who conceived you in love will give you the Holy Spirit when you ask Him? That's it? Ask Him? Yeah, that's it. Ask Him. There's a third part that I think may be the scariest of all. And I can't be dogmatic about it. I can't say it happens this way every time. Uh, For you, it may happen when you're totally alone somewhere, driving in a car, I don't know. But I see it a, a lot in Scripture. And so I suggest that you might want to consider it, and that is ask somebody to pray with you to be filled. Uh, Acts chapter 9, we've already said it. Paul was sent to Ananias so he could lay hands on him and pray that he was filled with the Spirit. Acts 1, 17, then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Spirit. We said that over and over in Scripture. They prayed for them. They laid hands on them. They prayed. Even healing is often conveyed, the scriptures say, through the laying on of hands. There's something about connecting. Jesus said, where two or three agree is touching anything, I'm there in the midst. My prayer for you this morning, regardless of your background, and I know in a church like ours, we come from every conceivable theological background. I I get that. But I hope you won't let what I've taught you today uh, build a wall that says, "I I don't know. I'm going to beg you to be open and to be hungry for everything the Father has to say. Check it against the Word. Don't believe a word I've said unless it's in this book. But when you see it in the Word of God, pray. Get somebody to pray with you. I believe the Father wants to fill me, and I want to be influenced and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Would you bow your heads with me this morning, and let's pray that prayer together. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. I'm not going to keep you any longer, but I do want you to pray with me. Prayer teams will be down here after the service. Maybe you want to come this morning. Plenty of time. In fact, you might as well come do this while the parking lot's clear. Just come and let somebody pray with you this morning. But at the very least, would you pray a simple prayer with me? I pray it all the time. I've prayed it thousands of times over the decades. Father, I want to relate to you as a daddy. Jesus, I want you to be my elder brother, closer than a brother. My Savior and my King. Holy Spirit, I want you to fill me up. If there's a corner of my heart or my life that I'm holding back from you, I want you to expose it. Fill me up. I need your power operating in my life to be the father, the mother, 
the son, the daughter, the citizen of this world, the servant in the kingdom of God, the person that you've called me to be. So I believe, Father, that when you said this gift was available, you meant it. Come on, pray with me, guys. You can pray out loud, you can pray silently, but pray these words. Come on. I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit. And in doing that, give me the desire and the power to do what pleases you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.